It's the grace of God. All right, 2 Samuel chapter 24, and talk about a very needed subject here today. And we'll start from this uh, strange passage. Verse 1, the Bible says, And again the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Notice it says again. And this wasn't the first time. If you're God's people, you've made him angry before. You're going to make him angry again today and again tomorrow because you keep sinning. I'm just going to be honest with you. And he's holy. And when you don't understand the judgment of God, the reason you don't understand it is you don't understand the holiness of God. Once you ever grasp the holiness of God, you get just how sorry and low down yes. you are. And you understand the need of the blood of Jesus Christ to wash your sins away. You know, if you're just a real good person and you just need to adjust things a little bit to be perfect for God, besides being a very effeminate way to look at things, secondly, uh, what in the world did Jesus have to die on that cross and go through those horrors for? Yeah. Problem is, you're not even close to right. You deserve to burn in the lake of hell and yes. uh, hell and the lake of fire forever and ever. You're that bad. And so Jesus had to go through horrible things to save your soul. Yes. If you believe the Bible. But if you want to do the nice, neat little way that's more popular in the churches today, then just throw your Bible out and just feel good about yourself. <laughs> Alright, 2 Samuel 24.1 And again... The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. So the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, and he gets David to go do something to get him in trouble. Isn't that an interesting thing? Uh, most people aren't deep enough Bible students to understand such things, but the truth of the matter is, sometimes the Lord decides it's time for you to get a whooping, and he just orchestrates things where you get your whooping. And I assure you, I've had plenty of mine. <laughs> Verse 10, at the paragraph mark, if you've got a Cambridge edition of the King James Bible, it says, And David's heart smote him after that he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in that I have done. And now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. Notice the repentance in David. David is one of the great characters of all history. Amen. He's one of the great characters in the Bible. Amen. He's a tremendous type of Christ. And he doesn't have any trouble saying, I have sinned greatly. God, forgive me and take away my sin. I have done very foolishly. Do you and the Lord have that kind of relationship? Do you prostrate yourself before him that way? Admit how wrong you are, how right he is, and ask for his forgiveness? That should be a regular part of your Christian life. Amen. You know why? Because your filthy sin is a regular part of your Christian life. And I'm not running you down when I say it. I'm right there with you. Verse 11, For when David was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came unto the prophet, prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say unto David, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So Gad came to David and told him and said unto him, Shall seven years of famine come unto thee in thy land, or wilt thou flee three months before thine enemies while they, while they pursue thee, or that there be three days pestilence in thy land? Now advise and see what answer I shall return to him that sent me. And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord.
for his mercies are great. And let me not fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning even to the time appointed, and there died of the people from Dan even to Beersheba 70,000 men. Notice also this in David's relationship with the Lord. He was used to falling on the mercy of God. Nobody said, now David, you're one of the great kings of Israel. You've done a little something wrong here, so we're going to have to do a little something to you. No, the Lord said, you're going to get three punishments, a choice of three punishments, and they're all pretty bad. You know what David said? Lord, I defer to you. You able to do that in your Christian life? Something comes that you didn't want, and you take your hands off of it and say, Lord, I defer to you. Ah, these are great lessons in your personal relationship with God. And there is nothing more important in your life than your personal relationship with God. You're wrong. He's right. And when He allows something, you say, Amen, Lord, this is from you. It's right. Let me tell you something. There are things the Lord and I have fussed over. (laughs) Me knowing the whole time He was right. I understand it's not real easy to do. But if you've spent some time with the Lord, you've got used to the fact that He's always right. And the quicker you turn things over to Him and surrender them to Him or submit them to Him is probably a better way of saying it, the better off you'll be. Second Samuel 24, verse 16, and we'll close the, the text reading. And when the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed the people, It is enough. Stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing place of Arana, the Jebusite. I want to preach this morning on this subject. It is enough. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll come down and speak to us. Lord, we need to hear from you. We need to hear from you all the time. And specifically, God, I know that you've been leading along these lines in recent days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to say this morning that the Bible instructs us on our own limitations and even on God's boundaries. Did you know the Lord has put some boundaries on his own actions, even though he's almighty. Cornerstone Baptist Church had a real good booth at the fair where they had uh, where they had an outreach where they would witness to people that would come by, and uh, one of the approaches they used is three things God cannot do. Did you know there are some things that an almighty God cannot do? Amen. <laughs> Uh, For example, he cannot lie, he cannot sin, things like that. His holiness puts some limits on what he can do. This is a side issue. But you know why this country started the way it did? Because all the state constitutions started with an assumption that we need people in leadership positions, in government or administrative positions, who believe in some kind of a higher power that they have to answer to. It is very ancient to know that you don't ever want anybody ruling over you with absolute authority. They need some boundary. If you ever have somebody 
in a position of authority with nobody that they have to answer to, guess what they can do? Abuse their power. Right. You know why we got a problem in this country right now? We got some people in some positions of power that aren't answering to anybody. Amen. That is a big problem. Even God's holiness puts some boundaries around some of the things he can do. Now, this is a strange text in other ways. Israel's sin, for which God is angry, is not exactly named, and yet 70,000 die for it. David's sin is somewhat vague also. I mean, you say, David, uh, well, he numbered the people. Well, you know, you're told in the law to number the people sometimes. Exactly why it's exactly wrong to number them right here, it's at least confusing at first, even if you've studied it out and got a strong opinion on exactly why. Furthermore, the parallel passage over in 1 Chronicles 21 that tells the same story says that it was Satan that provoked David to number Israel. And here it says the Lord moved David against Israel. Isn't that interesting? Did you know from time to time the Lord and the devil work together on something that trying to get both of them going? There are examples of these things. Uh, in Samuel, God removes his spirit from Saul but an evil spirit from the Lord is who troubles Saul. An evil spirit, but he's from the Lord. What a strange thing. In Kings, God employs a lying spirit to bring about Ahab's death. And in Job, God admits that Satan moved him against Job without a cause. But in all those places, guess what happens? God being the final authority, he's the one that decides when it's enough. Amen. Amen. All right, now what I've just given you is a little too much Bible study for our, for our generation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, more things couldn't find you Habakkuk with an index. The things I just said would completely blow their minds. But God is the one who steps in and decides, you know what, it is enough. Yes. And here, as in other places, it is enough, God says. And in our lives, in mine and your lives, there will come times when we too will say, it is enough. God's word is not silent on this important subject of limitations. So let's look at several places in the Bible where this is used. All right, uh, in our text, we see that it is enough of salvation, mercy. Now, I believe that God is a just God, don't you? Yes, Amen. I believe that he believes in justice. Doesn't it bother you when you see an injustice going on? Doesn't it bother you when you see criminals getting by with crimes over and over and over again? Somebody finally stands up and stops it, and they fuss at the person stopping the crime rather than the person who is a repeated criminal. You know what that is? That's called injustice, even, they, even though they say our side is the one that is having injustice because they're dirty liars. And that bothers us. But God's justice is limited by a couple things. Number one in this case is his mercy, just like in our case. Number two is his promise. God had already made a promise to David about the Davidic covenant through the Davidic covenant. There were some things he couldn't do. He had bound himself with his own word. So even though he is a just God and they fully deserved what he was sending, his mercy and his promise held back. You know what happened when me and you got saved? God's mercy 
in God's promise held back his judgment. He had already made some promises before we were ever born that salvation is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish. So even though we fully deserve to perish, we could not perish if we received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Furthermore, his mercy wouldn't allow it, even to the point that he sent his only begotten son to shed his lifeblood on the cross of Calvary for you and me. His mercy and his promise would not allow us to die. This is the it is enough of salvation. I'll tell you another it is enough connected with uh, salvation. And that is the it is enough of multiplied blessings. Genesis chapter 22, and the Lord speaking, it says, And said by myself, Have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Well, the Lord told him to take Isaac up there and slay him, didn't he? But before he plunged the knife in, you know what the Lord said essentially? It's enough. I see you were about to obey me. And stopped. And you know what he got? Multiplied blessing. You know what happened when you got saved? You didn't just get saved from hell. Although that's a, <laughs> that's a real bonus, isn't it? That's a, that's a fantastic part of it. But on top of that, you've got blessings of a joyful, victorious Christian life, unless you just rebel against it. You've got the blessing of living forever in heaven with eternal joy and bliss. You've got the blessing of being surrounded by the Holy Spirit and those people that are filled with Him and influenced by Him. You've got a bunch of blessings that you didn't even dream of when you first got saved and were first learning what the Lord had done for you. Multiplied blessing. Abraham was going to have to go up there and sacrifice something. And just in case it was something that he loved more than God, the Lord had to test him and see. When you got saved and when you live your Christian life, let me tell you what the Lord will occasionally do. He'll occasionally test you and see if you'll sacrifice. And you know what he'll test you in? That thing which you love. Oh, yes. That's where he'll hit you. Because he wants to know, lovest thou me more than these, Peter? All right, here's something I know you love. Let me see if you love me more. The Bible says if you love, and it lists even immediate family members, more than me, you are not worthy of me. That's what Jesus said. Wow. Wow. You'll have to sacrifice that which keeps you from God. You'll have to sacrifice whatever God commands. And His commands are not grievous. From time to time, He'll ask you for something and you'll be holding on to it for dear life and that'll be one thing you definitely won't want to give, will not want to give up. But you know what you'll find out? You'll find out when you give up something for God, it wasn't near what you thought it was going to be. Amen. It wasn't hurt, going to hurt near like you thought it was going to hurt. Don't, don't get me wrong. I understand they're real sacrifices and I'm not trying to discount the importance of them. God knows they do hurt our hearts and I've been through some myself. But having the Lord Jesus is so wonderful and so precious, it outranks all of them. 
You know what the Bible said about Joseph when he was ripped up from his family and everything he knew and everything that he held dear and was in falsely accused and in servitude and then in jail wrongfully and people forgetting him for two years and leaving him there two years longer and then finally got out and all of a sudden was exalted and married and had a couple children. You know what he named one of them? He said, uh, named him basically forgetfulness for God has made me forget all my toil. The Lord's blessings are so great that the sacrifices are nothing. Even an old popular song from when I was growing up said, it's no sacrifice. When there's something you love dearly and it's so much higher than anything you've known before and you realize the good of that thing, you look back and realize it was no sacrifice for the benefit I got. Whatever you sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ, it won't be any sacrifice compared to the blessing that you get. It'd be like if I snuck in your purse and robbed $5 from you and then came back 15 minutes later and snuck in a million dollars in that same purse. You know what I'm pretty sure? I'm pretty sure you wouldn't be worried about that $5 I just robbed from you. (laughs) And that's what the Lord does. He'll take $5, buddy, when it's your last $5 and you think it's the worst thing in the world that ever happened. And then he'll show up and put a million in there. I'm speaking figuratively now. I'm speaking figuratively. I'm not preaching the prosperity gospel. But I am saying things that spiritually speaking are more valuable than anything money can buy. He'll bless you with it. Amen. All right, that's the uh, it is enough of salvation. Now let's look at the it is enough of surrender. It is enough of surrender. Now you know about the... uh, story of Pharaoh and the ten plagues on Egypt back in the book of Exodus. And uh, the Lord had sent terrible plagues. He had sent the thunder and the hail and the fire right before the verse I'm about to read. And this is what Pharaoh said after several plagues had already hit him. He said, Entreat the Lord, for it is enough that there be no more mighty thunderings and hail, and I will let you go, and ye shall stay no longer. But just a few verses later says, And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart, he and his servants, and the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. Let me tell you something. You better watch out for a hard heart against God and his authority. Just go ahead and submit to it. Pharaoh said, okay, all right, you hit me with several plagues, and this one's real bad. It is enough. Okay, you win. But it was only because he had to, and he wasn't changing his heart toward God. So as soon as the thunder and the hail and, and fire quit, he grabbed it right back. Amen. Who's the authority you ought to be submitting to? Maybe it's a young person for some parents. Maybe it's a wife or a husband. You know, the Bible teaches that. Yes, amen. Maybe it's uh, some people under some authority of the law or a pastor at church or a boss at work or whatever the case is. God works through authority. Yes. I know that's not popular in our day. But we're going to be Bible believers here. Yes. We're not going to do the popular stuff. When God gives you an authority, let me tell you what to do. Submit to it. And don't harden your heart against them. You say, oh, but my authority is wrong. All human authority is wrong. We do not serve a dumb God who forgot that. (laughs) He still tells us 
to be under their authority. Now, not when they tell us to disobey God. Don't misunderstand. Obey God rather than men when they tell us to disobey God. But on every other item where they're not telling us to disobey God, you obey them. Yes. You know what? Bible says to. Word of God says to. Pharaoh couldn't handle that. He was used to being the boss. Look out when you've been the boss for a while. It is hard to go back to submitting. And as soon, even when he gave in because he felt like he had to, as soon as that thunder and hail and fire stopped, he took it right back. That's somebody who's still got a hard heart. Look out for the surrender, that it is enough of surrender when it's still connected to a hard heart. All right, here is the surrender of a happy father. Turn to Genesis 45, or I'll read it to you. We've been studying this in Sunday school. The adult class. As you know, Jacob, good of a man as he was in some ways, did not exactly have uh, trust in God to handle things. He kept thinking he needed to make a plan and a scheme and come up with a way to make something happen. And when somebody told him, uh, there's not one thing you did in any of this, God handled the whole thing and everything's fine, he had a real hard time accepting that. <laughs> and sure enough, after all the sorrow he's been through, he now finds out his whole family is going to be saved and taken care of through a terrible family. And the one that's doing it is the beloved son that he thought he had lost years ago. And he's about to be reunited with him on top of everything else. <laughs> And it's real hard for Jacob to wrap his mind around God just did something I didn't have a thing to do with and I can just relax and trust. Does that sound like some Christians you know? Our insurance company takes care of it. Our lawyer takes care of it. Our investment professional takes care of it. Our husband takes care of it or our wife takes care of it or our community center takes care of it or our government takes care of it or hopefully we'll elect some conservative and he'll take care of it and no you need to get your hands off of it and just trust God to take care of it but finally that happens here and Jacob just cannot believe him let's pick up the reading in Genesis 45 verse 25 and they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father and told him saying Joseph is yet alive and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. He just couldn't believe God could do that. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. It still took a little, you know, physical proof. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. I can barely read that passage. Jacob finally figured out, praise the Lord, God has handled this situation. Yes. And there wasn't a cotton-picking thing I could do to fix any of it. He just did the whole thing for me. That is that it is enough of surrender of a happy father. Now let's look at the it is enough of a humiliated prophet. This is the story of Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 19. You know the story of how 
Elijah had that great victory over the prophets of Baal. And the people still didn't exactly, you know, overthrow Ahab and Jezebel like that I suppose he thought that they should have. And so, after the great victory has happened, 1 Kings 19.2, the Bible says, Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my fathers. Oh, look out for the it is enough of a humiliated prophet. I've been there a few times in discouragement. I took my hands off this thing. I said, well, I may as well just quit trying. It doesn't work. You know why? Because I was disappointed in some outward person, even if it was immediate family. Listen, if you're in this to do anything for people, you may as well quit now because you're headed for a juniper tree. Amen. Let me tell you what all people will do. Disappoint you. You better be in this for the Lord Jesus Christ, the one and only one who will never disappoint you. Amen. In the end, he always comes out right. Now, there'll be a time or two he'll do some things you disagree with. Let me tell you that right quick. <laughs> he and I have had words even recently. <laughs> Lord, now why'd you allow that? But in the end, he will certainly not disappoint you. If we have a house full of people here, a couple hundred people, that'll bless my heart and I'll be so happy to serve the Lord. If every one of you get mad at me about something and it ain't nobody but me and Jesus in here, it wouldn't be my first choice, but I'm going to keep serving him anyway. Amen. Be sure you're doing what you do for Jesus. Amen. No other reason. I mean, Elijah, you got to admit, he had demonstrated to him which one had the power of God. If you got an altar soaking wet, running over with water till it's filling the ditches around the thing, and fire comes down, consumes everything, and licks up the water that's there, uh, I'm pretty sure he was not scientifically able to do that. Pretty sure that had to be God. Yes. And he still didn't follow him. They still stuck with Ahab and Jezebel. Moses called the power of God down in the study we did Wednesday night, I think it was, and the earth opened up and swallowed Korah and everybody that pertained to him. And the next morning, I think it was, the people came to Moses ready to kill him and said, you've killed the people of God like Moses could have made that happen. <laughs> there, is some, there are some ways that we Baptists aren't a whole lot better. Amen. And if you got your, and don't get me wrong, I'm a Bible-believing Baptist. You know how I talk about our Baptist history and our Baptist heritage, and I love it and praise God for it, love it, love every bit of it. You know how I talk about this King James Bible. You know how I feel about it. Don't think there's an error anywhere in it down to the spelling and the punctuation and the titles of the books and the italicized words. I believe all that stuff. But some people that believe that King James Bible will absolutely disappoint you, and some people that call themselves Baptists will absolutely disappoint you, won't they? We, has any of us ever learned that? Yes. Or am I letting out a new secret you've never heard today? 
But don't do it for people. Not even your family. Jesus warns against that and names immediate family members, doesn't he? In the Gospels. What what happened with the Apostle Paul? The ones that worked right there with him. Alexander the coppersmith has done me much evil. The Lord rewarded him according to his works. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Right. Amen. You better do it for Jesus and him only. Amen. Now there have been people that have done it. There have been people with the family against them and the town against them and politics against them and they stayed faithful and they just went ahead and paid the price and stayed true to Jesus anyway. Yes, they did. Let's me and you do the same. When I think about these things, I think about David, poor David. Back there in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and his faithful men are about to stone him and everything's going bad and everything's going wrong. And uh, his family's gone. And you know what it says? It says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Amen. You know what the Bible says? It says the backslidering heart shall be, will do one thing, but what will happen to the good man? He is satisfied from himself. How does he do that? Because he can encourage himself in the Lord his God. You know how you'll be able to encourage yourself even when everything goes bad? And there will be a few times in your life it will. By encouraging yourself in the Lord your God. All right, so we've seen that it is enough of salvation. We've seen that it is enough of surrender. Surrender. Let's look now at the it is enough of sufficiency. Of sufficiency. Uh, sufficiency means it's enough. Words like ample and adequate and sufficient. I've jokingly made up sentences, you know, that are way redundant. Said that's not adequately sufficient enough. Well, that's just trying to throw a bunch of those words in at the same time. But that, that would be what the English teachers call redundant. What would you do, Abby, if somebody turned in a paper to you saying something wasn't adequately sufficient enough? Yeah, we count off. You <laughs> <She> would <laughs> count off for it. Oh, man, so there goes Brother's sermon. Uh, but be that as it may, let me tell you about God. He is sufficient. Now, you do have a certain amount of self-sufficiency, but it is very limited very limited. Luke chapter 22, here's Jesus talking to the disciples. says, Then said he unto them, But now he that hath a purse, let him take it. And likewise his scrip. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Jesus says, Yeah, get you some self-defense. Go get your sword. Take care of yourself. Have a little bit of money in your, in your purse and a little supplies in your scrip, you know. There is a little bit of self-sufficiency. But remember, it's very limited. So here's 12 disciples, and it says in Luke 22, verse 38, And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, It is enough. Uh, two swords is plenty for 12 people. You know why? Because if that won't handle the problem, uh, it's probably something the Lord's planned and something you're not going to be able to take care of anyway. If, uh, if the Chinese communists decide to come over here and take over America, and they got, you know, missiles coming over and that sort of thing. Uh, your 410 and your high-powered rifle you use in deer hunting ain't going to help us, is it? Because there's, there's something bigger going on than anything you can handle. But 
I'm still all for self-defense. The Lord says, okay, you got a couple swords, all right, that's good, that's enough. When it comes to your self-sufficiency, use some common sense things, okay? I'm all for that. Have some insurance. But there are some people that are over-insured. I, I always laugh to myself when I think of these things, and I think about Lloyd's of London, that famous insurance company in England, and uh, some people were buying insurance against being abducted by aliens. <laughs> now, i got to know if anybody ever tried to collect on that. <laughs> uh, I'm not exactly a financial advisor, but I would advise you against wasting any money on an insurance policy against alien abduction. Number one, I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen to you. And number two, if it does, I'm not sure what we'd do with the money. <laughs> I mean, oh, you got a couple of swords? All right, that's all you need to take care of. Kind of need to trust God for the rest of it. So you do have some self-sufficiency. Now let's talk about a way more important one. Here's the Savior's sufficiency. You know what he said on the cross just as he was dying? He said, it is finished. You know what that meant? The blood is shed. The price is paid. I'm about to go in the grave. The only thing left is for me to resurrect in three days. And it's over. I've won. All you got to do is get on my team because it is definitely now unequivocally proven beyond any reasonable doubt that one side is going to win. Now, don't get me wrong. The Lord knew beforehand that he was, but there was no doubting it at that point. The Lord had lived a whole life and not sinned one time and paid perfect blood, made the sacrifice of a perfect life, and would soon rise from the dead and the thing was over. Let me tell you about the Savior's sufficiency. It's completely sufficient. It is, as I joked a minute ago, adequately sufficient enough. <laughs> I mean, it covers all the bases. So self-sufficiency and the Savior's sufficiency. Now let's look at one for your Christian life. I call this one the saints' sufficiency. 2 Corinthians 9. Let me tell you just how sufficient your grace is for your Christian life. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Every good work that it is God's will for you to do, you have sufficient supply to do it. And he's able to do it. Amen. If he, which, that reminds me, there were a couple of ministry opportunities I wanted to give you all uh, before the service this morning. It totally slipped my mind. Lord willing, I'll remember that tonight. Listen, I don't know what all ministry opportunities are out there, but I know there's one or two every one of us ought to be involved in. There, there's many. Yes. Not everybody's supposed to preach behind the pulpit. Some preach on a street corner. Not everybody preaches on a street corner. Some hold signs. Not everybody holds signs. Some hand out gospel tracts. Not everybody hands out gospel tracts. Some send them through the mail. Not everybody sends them through the mail. Some support missionaries. Not everybody can support a missionary so they do witness to their family at holidays. I mean, I don't know all the things. If I sit here and tried to list every ministry opportunity, I'd miss some. But I know this. You ought to be in one or two of them. Yeah. You ought to be in at least one or two of them. And let me tell you something. You can't say, well, I can't, because my Bible says, all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. That's the saints' sufficiency. 
Moses got disappointed that he couldn't go over into the promised land. You know what the Lord said? Let it suffice thee. Suffice, like that word sufficiency. Paul got concerned about this thorn in his flesh that was undoubtedly holding back some of his ministry opportunities. You know what the Lord said? My grace is sufficient for thee. Yeah. You know what even the Lord Jesus said, Lord, if it be possible, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Amen. Because God made the man, Christ Jesus, know that his grace was sufficient, he went ahead and went through what he took for us on the cross right. and said, it is finished. Amen. I've done my part. That self-sufficiency, which is very limited, the Savior's sufficiency and the saint's sufficiency. Now let's look at the it is enough of satisfaction. Oh, how this world is looking for satisfaction. There are some things, brethren and sistren, that will never be satisfied. Did you know that's a great outreach and ministry opportunity to reach out to people trying to minister to them on this subject of satisfaction? You know who David ended up using as his mighty men? were people that were in debt and distress and discontented. They weren't satisfied. One of the greatest blessings in your life is when you get discontent and unsatisfied. As much as we preach against discontentment, the Lord uses it in people's lives to show them, hey, you're missing something. There's blessings I could be giving you. You get wanting them bad enough. I'll make sure you find them. So let's talk about that. Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. You know why? Most people never find it. Amen. The world talks about this, and we've referred to it, and other preachers have referred to the old rolling stones. I can't get no satisfaction. When I was a kid, you uh, too had that band, and they sang a song, said, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Uh, Bruce Springsteen sang that song, Glory Days. Everybody's so unhappy and discontent looking back at their glory days when they were younger. You know what we've got? We've got a world that is discontent. You know what they're yes, hunting? They're hunting satisfaction. You know what God offers? He offers satisfaction. But the eyes of man are never satisfied outside of the Lord. Here is the, I, it is enough of satisfaction that is never attained. Proverbs chapter 30. The horse leech hath two daughters crying, Give, give. There are three things that are never satisfied. Yea, four things say not, it is enough. Isn't that a nasty word picture? The horse leech. <laughs> you know what a leech is, that old blood sucker? And one that would suck blood off a big old horse? Man, how'd you like to get one of those things on you? And it never is enough. Ah. I remember we were having one of our kids. I don't remember Nathan or Caitlin or one of them. They was taking blood out of, taking blood out of Amanda. And I didn't I knew what they was doing, you know, taking the blood to, you know, test and make sure everything was okay. But then they took another one and another one and another one. I was about ready to get up and fight for her. But they kept pulling blood out of her. Now let me tell you something. A leech. It's never enough blood coming out of somebody, out of that horse or whatever it's on. 
Now here are the four things that never say it is enough. Verse 16, the grave and the barren womb, the earth that is not filled with water, and the fire that saith not, it is enough. Number one thing that's never satisfied is death. You are going to die. It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Outside of you being one of the rare exceptions that goes up in the rapture, you're going to die. You just get to miss your appointment. But it's still appointed to you. Alright? To death, the grave is never, is never satisfied. Desire is never satisfied. The barren loom. When I think of these things, I always think about George that I worked with in the warehouse and lumberyard down at the Lowe's of Pensacola, Florida. He was on up in his 50s. He, man, he might have been, he might have been approaching 60. And he and his wife had never been able to have children. They'd been married for decades. And lo and behold, one time. They came and told at work that George and his wife were expecting a baby. We couldn't believe it. And that barren womb was suddenly going to have a child. And they had not been satisfied all those years. And I remember after that baby was born, I remember George every time. It was try time to go home. So excited that he was going to go and see that baby. I remember when our Nathan was born. I remember what part of the thing that kept me going in a stress-filled retail environment was that I was going to go home and see my baby. You know what is never satisfied? A barren womb. Another one that's uh, never satisfied is the earth not filled with water. Drought. Have you ever seen a, a dry earth and the big cracks, you know, in that dry earth? And a rain or something happens and it looks like it's satisfied for a while. But you come back a few hours later and it's still still cracked and still parched. It needs more, 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 more. When you're in a time of drought, you can't get enough rain, it seems like. But here's a real scary one in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 16. And the fire that saith not, it is enough. There's always room for one more in hell. I hate to say that. But there's always room for one more in heaven. Amen. Amen. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you. Now you can choose to go to hell. If you're hell-bent, as they say, on going to hell, you can. But there's also an opening at the cross and an opening in heaven for you. But there is satisfaction that is never attained in the case of death and desire and drought and damnation. But there is a satisfaction that is nobly appreciated. Let's look over in Matthew chapter 10 and see it. Matthew chapter 10, verse 24. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. Oh, no wonder one of these days on Judgment Day when the crowns are given out, we cast them at his feet. It's already enough for us that we're like our Lord Jesus Christ in a sinless body with no sin nature, never going to sin and disappoint our Lord again, never going to die, never going to be sick, I'm just like Jesus Christ. That's good enough for me. He deserves this crown anyway. Amen. You know when you'll say it's enough? When you look up and see the Lord Jesus Christ and realize you're just like Him. 
until then, there will always be something lacking in your satisfaction. It's good for us to know our weaknesses. It's good to know our failures. God help us to know when it is enough. And may the Lord hasten the day when we find ourselves like the Lord Jesus Christ and say, it is enough. I am fully satisfied. Psalm 17, 15. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. In that resurrection day, you're going to be just like Jesus Christ you're going to be satisfied. Now, I can't tell you that you're going to be that way down here on this earth, but I can tell you this. The closer you get to his likeness, the closer you'll get to satisfaction even down here. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to preach your word.